so glad to see so many faces in the room, and I'm glad to see the red light on the back of that camera that I'm looking at right now. I'm so glad that you are worshiping with us as well at home. If you're in the room, can we put our hands together and let the people worshiping online know how happy we are that they're with us? Yeah. We are finishing a series today. I have the privilege of finishing the series on what's the point? This is a series that we've been on uh, coming out of a book called Donkey Mission, written by a DeKalb County native, Matt Keller. And in, in this, it, 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 what we're looking at is a story in 1 Samuel chapter 9 about Saul, who was destined to be king. That was his greater mission. He was on his way to be king, but he didn't know it. But before he ever could become king, he found himself on a mission to go find his dad's donkeys. What's the point in that? Well, the point was, if he didn't do that, he wouldn't have found his greater mission. And sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of a donkey mission as well. We find ourselves thinking, what's the point in this? Well, if you don't do this, you will not find your greater mission. Today we're concluding the series, uh, and I want us to look at one final aspect of Saul's donkey mission. He didn't go alone. Have you ever noticed that some things are just different with others? You know, a long time ago, I was, uh, or not too long ago, a couple years ago, we took a spring break to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. We were coming down the sidewalk, I think we were leaving the aquarium, and there's like this mercantile thing that's like three floors high, and at the end of it, there's this great big window at the top where you could stand there and look out and see like mountains and stuff in Gatlinburg. And I was just walking along with my family, and I looked up at the third floor, and there was this girl up in that big picture window looks to be about eight or nine years old, and she was hamming it up. She was, I think she was singing about like, doing the Beyonce thing. A couple th- and she's just, she's just going berserk up there. And then I see her, and I'm like, well, that's fun. That's the type of thing I'd do when I was nine. So we were waiting for the stoplight to turn green so I could walk across. And so I just stood there, and I looked up at her. She didn't see me, so she was still. And I just. And finally, her eyes looked down and made eye contact with this guy on the ground, making eye contact back up to her. And she was going. I went. I can see you. And she goes. Doesn't move, and I just stare at her. <laughs> she runs away. It was one thing when she was by herself, but as soon as somebody else came into the equation, different story. You ever watched a show by yourself and it's a little bit funny, and then you watch it with somebody else that has a big laugh and it's a lot funny? It's a lot funny. Some things are just different with other people. Let's pick up this story in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 2. We're going to see what's different with people in uh, this story. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look 
for the donkeys. Here's number one. We were not created to do life alone. We were not created to do life alone. Isn't it interesting that the father's instructions to his son, the only instructions that the father gave to his son was go take somebody with you. Not make sure you take enough money, which as we see later in the story should have been the instruction. It wasn't make sure you take enough money. It wasn't, hey, fill up your canteens. It wasn't, you know, make sure you have enough supplies. Do you have your calling card? That was back in the day. Remember, we had calling cards back before cell phone. Sorry, blast from the past. But his instructions were, take someone else with you. I wonder what the father knew that Saul didn't. Apparently something. I wonder what our father knows that we don't. Donkey missions are not meant to be done in isolation. And neither is your Christianity. Neither is your donkey mission. Your donkey mission. Your seemingly meaningless mission that you find yourself on today is not meant to be done alone. It's meant to be done in community with others. This is why getting together is so important. The world is too big, too bad, too hard for us to face hard times by ourselves. It is not good for you to be alone, God said to Adam. He made Adam and he's like, yeah, you're good, but it's not good for you to be alone. And I think for, for us, you know, our, our America was founded by no king gonna tell me what to do. So if that attitude stays in our life, we have this, this knee-jerk reaction to a problem and that knee-jerk reaction to a problem for so many humans around the globe is to go it alone. Anybody go it alone once in a while when you know you shouldn't? I do. You go it alone. There's two ways to go it alone. One is to, a problem happens and you isolate, you pull back, maybe you retreat. That's where a lot of excuses come into play. We heard about that last week. A lot of excuses. Nah, and we... Isolate. We find ourselves isolated. Why are you isolated? Maybe because you did it. You pulled back. Sometimes there's no one else to blame for your feeling of isolation but yourself. Yeah. We, we pulled back. That's one way to go it alone. And the other way is to do the opposite of that. Charge ahead without any wisdom. I like to say all the projects I hold in my hand, I want to hold it with an open hand because if I hold them with a closed hand, I'll be the only one that touches it and it will only be as good as what I can make it, but if I hold it with an open hand, it can be as good as we can make it together. I want to charge ahead with wisdom, with wisdom, and that only comes with other people. Here's number two. We need friends at pivotal moments in our mission. We need friends at pivotal moments in our mission. See, this story seems like it should be about Saul finding his dad's donkeys? Why does there need to be anyone else? And we don't, we don't hear anything else about the servant until Saul's ready to quit, until he is at a pivotal moment. Then we hear about the other people involved here. First Samuel chapter nine, verse five says, when they reached the district of Zuth, Saul said to the servant, here we are, to the servant who was with him, come, let, let's go back or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. I'm ready to give up. Saul's looking tired. He's tired of looking and he wanted to give up. And at this low moment, at the pivotal moment, that's when he needed his friend the most. 
And in those low moments, verse six says that the, that the servant said, I'll help, you know, hey, there, we, there's another option here, Saul. There's another option. We can go to the man of God, Samuel. He'll help, he'll help. There's another option here. And in those low moments, we don't always want to hear what our friend has to say, do we? Sometimes the best thing to hear is the thing that we don't want to hear. Saul was busy making excuses, but he needed to hear what someone else had to say into his life. Sometimes the best thing to hear is the thing we don't want to hear. It's the thing we need to hear. Have you ever noticed this dynamic? When when someone gives you correction and they don't know us or they don't know the truth, you don't know me, like like Facebook, that seems to affect us the most. Am I the only one? It seems to affect us the most. Ah, Can you believe what that person who doesn't know me, doesn't live with me, doesn't know my heart, doesn't know my motives, doesn't work with me, can you believe what that person said? (laughs) How does that affect us? Yet the flip side, the people that know us, the people that live with us, the people that work with us, the people that stand a chance at judging our motives, when they want to say something that's corrective to our lives, you don't know. Actually, they do. They do. Why would we let that guy affect us more than we let this gift of God, a relationship, affect us? That doesn't make any sense. Am I the only one that does that? You're all quiet, so I, I think probably not. I think maybe we need to hear this proverb. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from the dude on Facebook, not so much. Not so much. But if it's a wound from a friend, you can trust that one. Because they're your friend. They want to help you. I might be talking about your spouse right now. All this week, my wife has been saying little comments. Well, that sounds like an excuse, Adam. Not all this week, just a couple times. <laughs> but it felt like it was all week. <laughs> she just said it twice. <laughs> but it felt like it was all week because doggone it, she was right. So she was pointing out an excuse, and that's a gift of God to my life. I need a friend in a pivotal moment in my life. Here's number three. The only way to have a friend at the pivotal moments is to have them in the mundane moments. You're not gonna have a friend at a pivotal moment if you don't have them in the mundane moments. If you're in a pivotal moment of your life and say, where'd all my friends go? Where were they? Where were they before? Don't expect everyone to come running if you haven't developed any relationships. See, Saul and his friend traveled, uh, traveled together in ordinary places. We don't talk about that. The Bible doesn't mention it. There's a lot of things. See, see, the extraordinary things are written down in the Bible, but there's a lot of other things that happened in the Bible. You know what the Bible doesn't say in 1 Samuel chapter 9? It doesn't have any verses like this. They traveled two hours without incident. It's not there, not there. Saul got thirsty. It's not in the Bible. Their horse tripped. Probably happened. Chances are that happened. Not in the Bible. They walked around a pit. 
Not mentioned. It's not mentioned. Why? Because that's the mundane moments. But I'm sure some of that stuff happened. I'm sure they got thirsty. This wasn't a 30-minute trip in the desert. This was days long trip. I'm sure they got thirsty. Not once does, 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 Saul, does the Bible mention that he was thirsty and his servant got him a drink out of his canteen. But I'm sure it happened. There was a lot of the mundane moments that occurred before there was ever a pivotal moment. Church, if there's something I can get down in our guts today, I hope it's this. Don't despise an ordinary day. An ordinary day is a gift from God. And it's in those ordinary moments that a lot can happen. It's been said life is what happens when you're waiting for life to happen. When you're waiting for the big moment, that's life. That's life. In fact, the top regrets from dying patients aren't skydiving. I wish I had skydived. I wish I had seen the Grand Canyon. I wish I had seen, I wanted to see India. The, the typical bucket list moments are not any of dying patients' last regrets. They regret not having the courage to tell someone that was important to them what they were really thinking. They regret working too much and not spending enough time with family. They long when people have the, have the chance to look back upon their life. They wish they had more of the mundane. They wish they had saw the, seen the value in the mundane. The Bible tells us, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Not, he makes me grab a hold of every opportunity and make the biggest, boisterous moment in my life. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. We all have the drive for our life to matter. And I think that's, that's normal, that's good. I want your life to matter too. But we fall into a trap, it's a lie of the devil that our life doesn't matter unless blank. Your life already matters. You don't have to, you don't have to make it matter. It matters because God made you. Some of us have fallen into a trap thinking that our lives don't matter or don't matter enough unless we're holding a microphone, unless we're holding a position unless we're sitting at that lunch table, unless we're, unless we're making the, the money that we you know, deserve to be making, our life doesn't really matter, we're not really making it, unless we're married to the person we want to be married, unless we have a, this relationship or a relationship that's working the way I think it should work, my life doesn't matter. That's a lie, that's a lie. Sometimes we hear people talk about how their life doesn't matter and I say, what are you talking about? You work the shift? and picked your kid up from school, you're a world changer. You're a world changer. The world needs people that work shifts and every kid needs somebody that can pick them up from school. And those kids won't grow up and become world changers themselves unless there was a world changing mom or dad or aunt or uncle or grandma or grandpa that was in their life. That's how every world changer had somebody that cared for them. There is power and the mundane. In fact, Jesus set the standard uh, about this for our lives. Jesus lived in the mundane. 
Sometimes we think Jesus' ministry was filled with the exciting stuff, and it was. Just read the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There's a lot of exciting stuff that Jesus did. But you know what else is in the Bible? Or I'm sorry, you know what else happened that's not in the Bible? The mundane. I just know that, that sometime in the three years that Jesus was with his disciples, Jesus would have said this, right? This is, a, this is a Bible quote, ready? This is a not Bible quote, but I think this is what Jesus said. Pete passed the ketchup, I swear. <laughs> I'm sure Jesus said, hey Pete, I need some of the ketchup on my burger. No, he wouldn't have said that because he was Jewish, but whatever. You get the idea. I'm sure there was some normal conversation. In fact, in fact there's, there's, a couple, there's a couple scriptures. Nine, uh, Luke 9, 57 says, says, as they were walking along the road, and then something extraordinary happened. Extraordinary enough to get in the Bible happened. But they weren't doing anything extraordinary. They were walking along the road. Or, or Mark 10, 32. They were on their way to Jerusalem, dot, 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 and then something significant enough to get into the Bible happened. The Bible doesn't talk about what was before that. They were walking along. They tripped on a rock. They saw a curb. Judas saw a flower and said, ooh, how pretty. And the rest of the disciples said, shut up, man. We know you're a traitor. I don't know. I don't know. I'm making stuff up. But you know there was mundane moments. And they were together for the mundane moments before they were ever there for each other in the pivotal moments. Something remarkable doesn't always happen in the mundane moments, but you have to walk down mundane avenue over and over. And sooner or later, there will be remarkable moments. Maybe you're riding in your car and your kid starts explaining to you some story in painstaking detail. And they haven't quite learned how to, how to tell a story very well. And you know, Sonic, and he has the shoes with the, and there's laces and you button the top button and then the laces tie and the button goes down. Like, I don't even know what you're saying. But it's in that mundane moment. I just love it. My kids get to talk with me and I don't even know what they're telling me about half the time. <laughs> but they get to talk to me. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful, mundane moment. And I'm waiting for the time when, when we're in the car and they say something extraordinary and they, they open up their soul to me. Or if I'm tucking them in, if I'm tucking my kids in and, and they, right when I leave the room, they say, hey, Dad, what about something? And they ask me a question of something that they learned in, in church. If my kids want to manipulate me to get an extended bedtime by asking a Bible question right before bed, I'm going to let them. Sorry, honey. I'm going to let them. Because when they open up their life, it's like a window. I only get so many of those. When they open the window, hey, tell me stuff about God. Shh. It's my chance because I know when they're 14 and I want to tell them and they haven't opened the door, they haven't opened the window, I will have missed my shot. So when I get the shot, I'm going to take it. And if they figure out they can get an extra 15 minutes of bedtime or 15 minutes of awake time, if they figure that out, I mean, they're going to watch this in a few years on YouTube or something and know. But if they figure that out, I'm just going to, like, 
if that's the extent of their rebellion, asking questions about God and getting to stay up late, I'll, I'll let them have it. But it's the mundane that has to be lived for there ever to be an extraordinary. But most of the time, we're just riding in the car. The majority of the time, we're just tucking our kid in. The majority of the time, we're just sitting at a lunch table or we're just sitting or standing around the water cooler after a meeting. The majority of the time, we're just standing at our machine doing the mundane. But there's power in the mundane. You have to have friends and relationships in the mundane if you're ever going to have them in the pivotal moments of your life. So here's a question. Have you been forsaking your ordinary moments because they weren't extra enough? Here's the fourth thing we learned. Friends provide something we lack that we cannot produce ourselves. Friends produce something we lack that we cannot produce ourselves. Just yesterday, I took my kids to this, uh, this uh, like a nature thing, and they had this, I really don't know what I'm talking about, I'm just gonna try to explain it as scientifically as I can. They had this aquarium thing, and they had created a, like a bog, and there was plants that ate meat, carnivorous, I think they called them. And the lady was explaining to my kids how these plants ate meat. It wasn't one of these Venus flytraps things, it was just like a plant. And it was the most fascinating thing. Uh, it was just like a little plant. No mouth, no clamping. What would happen is an ant would go up there because it, the plant produced something that the ant wanted, and so an ant would climb onto the leaf to eat it, die because it was actually poisonous and it would kill the ant, and the ant would just sit there on the leaf, and the leaf then would produce enzymes or stuff to dissolve and it would absorb what it, uh, it would absorb and decompose the ant, right? That was important because in the type of soil that that plant was in, the, the soil didn't have what the plant needed. The plant needed to get it. God made this plant, put this plant in soil that was incomplete. God put the plant in, so he caused the plant to grow in an area where that soil would never have what the plant needed. The plant needed something else to survive. And God put all of us on a planet, made us individuals, but guys, we need to be a little bit more like that plant. We need something else besides what we're in, this world, to survive. I'm not telling you to go decompose anybody, don't do that. <laughs> You get, you get the analogy. Per, friends provide something we lack that we cannot produce ourselves. The servant had money in his pack when Saul didn't. Saul didn't have what he needed to go get the help from Samuel, but the servant had it. Verse seven, Saul said to his servant, if we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered him again. Look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us what way to take. Saul didn't have it. Saul's servant did. Friends provide something we lack that we can't produce ourselves. Guys, this is what church is about. This is why we gather. This is why we gather together. Can you give me the camera I'm looking at? For those of you worshiping online, I want you to know this is why, uh, this is why we have the strategy to help you move from online 
and unknown to online and known. If you're online and unknown, I encourage you, take a step. You should not leave today online without being known. We have people that want to know you. That's a good next step for you. If you're already online and known, take another step. Take another step. Move to online and challenged. If you're online and challenged, maybe it's time to come. Come in the house if you're local. We'd love to have you in this house as well. There is power when the church gathers together. There's power in it. There's power when we gather together. And I I believe that you're gathered too. You're just gathered where where you are and it's different. It's different. But there's, there's power when we can look at each other in the eyes and be the gathered saints of God. That's what church is about. Ecclesiastes says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. This is why we need to be known. Being known isn't just something for people online. I want you to be known too. And there's a lot of, if you feel like you're not known, there's a lot of people around you right now that would love to know you. So after this service is over, I encourage you just to turn any direction except towards a wall. <laughs> it's very simple. It's smile and say, hi, and then see what happens. Pretty simple. There's a lot of people that would love to know you. Godly friends provide something in our lives that we can't produce on our own. They can provide strength when we feel weak. They can provide faith when we're faithless. They can provide hope when we're hopeless. They give encouragement when we're discouraged. In fact, the hero of this story just very well may be the servant. If it wasn't for the servant, Saul never would have gotten to his greater mission. Saul reached his destiny and became the first king of Israel because he had a friend around him who was there for him in the mundane times and in the pivotal times. What about you? Do you have somebody who's there for you in the mundane times and in the pivotal ones? I'd like to share a few action steps to us today. Here's a few action steps, things you may want to do. Number one, get friends that encourage you towards God not away from him. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. So what's the inverse mean? Good company is going to build your good character. You might need to change who you're around, really. Or change the influence that their voice has in their life. Right? There's, there's some type, like, like maybe you're, you work with people that you wish you didn't have to work with. Or, or, or bad influences on you. You could still work with them but you need to keep your guard up around your heart when you're with them. Does that make sense? Don't let everything they say affect you. Don't let them change you. Change them. Change them. It's the power of God in you that can be a witness into their life. So get friends that encourage you towards God, not away from him. Number two, lean towards relationships, not away from them. Lean towards relationships not away from them. Maybe you've been burned by relationships a few times in the past. And you think, no, not again. I'm not gonna let that happen again. I'm sorry that happened. I'm sorry that, that somebody let you down. But 
somebody let you down. It doesn't mean everybody let you down. There's, there's healing and forgiveness and restoration that can take place going forward. Number three, stop resisting wise counsel and embrace it, even when it's hard. Even when your wife tells you, well, that sounds like an excuse. Some of us have received a godly perspective on something, and we don't want to hear it. Maybe, maybe you're spending money you don't have. Maybe you've been called out on that recently. You're spending money you don't have. Maybe you're working too much. Maybe you have somebody telling you that. You're working too much. Maybe someone's calling you out on sleeping with people you're not married to. Maybe someone's calling you out on being on your phone too much. Don't resist godly counsel because your destiny is on the line. Godly counsel, the time, the, the way that you get through your donkey mission is on the line. Because at the end of it, you can reach something greater if you get to the other side. But you don't get through the other, to the other side of your donkey mission without humility. Can we all stand together? Church, we are not meant to do life and donkey missions on our own. We're not meant to do it on our own. So what changes do you need to make in your relationships? What changes do you need to make in your own relationships? Are there relationships you need to turn up the volume on and other relationships you need to turn the volume down on? Or even cut out, maybe? I trust God to tell you what that is. But Jesus didn't come to earth, live a sinless life, die on the cross, and come back to life so that anybody would ever be alone. See, if you're a Christian, you're never alone. Loneliness is an epidemic. But Christian, you're never alone if you embrace it. If you embrace Jesus. He died so that you would never be alone. He came back to life so that you could be in relationship with him and never be alone. See, God created us to be together, but our sin separates us from God. And nothing we do can, can fix the problem of sin because it requires, it requires a, a, the innocent to pay the price for the guilty. It's, it's what's always happened. And Jesus died to pay the price for us. And he came back to life, which conquered the curse of sin. And now anybody that looks to Jesus as the answer and opens their life up to him can have unity with Christ. We can have a relationship and never be alone. If you want to make that decision, it's very simple. You just admit that you're a sinner, you're not perfect, that you've fallen from God. Believe in your heart that uh, Jesus paid the price for you and then confess that Jesus is Lord. And you could make that decision today. And if you do, I encourage you to come up and tell one of the pastors or one of the, one of the people at the front who can pray for you at the end of the service. After Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, I need to go so I can send a comforter to you. Why? To be alongside of us. Christian, you're never alone. Let's embrace the power of the Holy Spirit in our life.